0: Well, good afternoon. I was a bit sleepy. Hello, thank you. It's uh, good to um, have an opportunity to, uh, to come and uh, share something of God's word with you. Um, it's been a while since we've done this. Uh, Richard's uh, been doing a great job over the last few weeks. It seems, it seems like it was a long time since I was stood up here. Um, we're currently, as you know... Uh, We've embarked on a series of studies in the book of Hebrews, and in some ways Richard has set me personally a great challenge, because if if I'm honest, as I come to a chapter like this one, particularly in chapter 2 here, that, that my natural temptation is to kind of go through it all line by line and really try and suck the juice out of every verse, but it would take us about 20 years to go through the book of Hebrews if we did that. So I've got one uh, talk today to try and cover off verses 5 uh, through 18, the rest of the chapter 2, uh, where Richard left us last week. So that's a great challenge. If we're still here at 8 o'clock, you'll know why I've got carried away. and I will try and keep it, uh, keep it simple. Um, I've entitled our thoughts today, Jesus, the scandalous hero. Jesus, the scandalous hero. Um, and I, I, wanna, I, don't, I don't know what springs to mind when you think of the word hero. Um, maybe we should open that up. What do you think? When you hear the word hero, what does it stir within you? Or what words do you associate with the idea of a hero. Bravery. Excellent. and, and So a, a hero, someone who's not a coward, but someone who's got a bit of courage. I think that's true. What else? Someone to look up to. Yeah, I, I was just thinking a little bit about role models, actually. I, I think... Maybe in society, you know, this is something that we're quite cynical about, isn't it? Now, because we kind of, we, we, we need role models, don't we? And we get so disappointed, don't we, when we, maybe we all need a hero. And we kind of put people up on a pedestal and they let us down and we think, oh no. It's, um, yeah, it's hard to find heroes that we can really look up to, isn't it? What else? Bravery. Good role model who faces, the faces their fears or the fears or both yeah that comes under bravery I suppose a little bit doesn't it but someone said didn't they that the essence of courage isn't the absence of fear but the ability to face your fears and, and overcome them in a sense what else learning to put others first yeah, yeah. Sometimes there's something about heroes that is unselfish. Yeah, often when you think of superheroes, I know Jai's not here today, but he loves his comic books, doesn't he? And uh, Marvel and all these different superheroes with superpowers. And inevitably, the hero goes off on a quest. And even though they've got superpowers, they've got a nemesis who they're fighting against. And the idea is that they're doing that not for their own sake. But to protect the world from the evil nemesis who's going to destroy civilization and they have to go into battle and fight in a very unselfish way, they could easily say, it's not my problem. And but, but no, a, a true hero goes and fights on the behalf of others, don't they? Well, I think a, a lot of those things kind of resonate with where I want our thoughts to go today. Um, I, I don't think... There's a better book to go to in the Bible if we're going to see Jesus as a great hero. And and in many ways, as we'll see, I hope, the people that this book or letter was written to originally were in great need of a hero to lift their drooping spirits, to reinvigorate their ailing confidence. These people needed a hero. Do you? If you do, Hebrews is massively relevant. Some commentators have said that there's massive similarities between our own modern culture and the first century. And if any group of people could understand the relevance of this book, it's our modern culture. Because this is a generation here that have possibly come to see that Jesus is a bit of a relic from the past not really that relevant to the practicalities and hardships of daily life really someone that just gullible people believe in because they haven't got anything better to do and yet how far from the truth all those things are so the scandalous hero let's have a little think first of all about the background. Richard has covered off uh, some of this background, but I think it will be helpful just to refresh and and repeat some of the things that we've been looking at. I think the important thing about Hebrews is that this is a letter for Christian believers who are just tired and a bit fed up and a bit weary. These originally these people would have been Jewish. Um, Well, they they still would be Jewish. That's why the letter's called the letter to the Hebrews. But they'd come to believe in Jesus. But in this generation, these are third generation believers. Richard touched on this last week um, when when we looked at Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. There's just a little sentence there that says, just pause for a moment hey bringing up the rear fantastic yeah Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 there Richard touched on this last week this salvation which was first announced by the Lord Jesus was confirmed to us by those who heard him so you've got Jesus Preaching the gospel, people who heard Jesus preach the gospel, they believed him, and then they preached the gospel to other people who then heard it from the ones who'd heard it from him. So you've got like a little chain there, and these people here are what you might call third generation believers, Jewish people who'd been who'd come to faith in Jesus. What condition are they in? Well, you have to read between the lines a little bit to work out what's going on. When when you get a letter like this in the Bible. The writer doesn't spell out what the problems are. What he's given is a solution. And sometimes you have to read what he says and work out what the problem must have been for him to say what he's saying. There's a little bit of detective work. But I don't think you have to be Sherlock Holmes to see that these people are tired. Let me just give you uh, four quick things. At the beginning of Chapter 2, last week, Richard very helpfully looked at the idea of drifting. You remember? And at the end of verse 1, the writer is clearly concerned that these people are drifting away. So part of what he's trying to do is encourage them to drop anchor and not just slide away over the horizon and drift away. They're they're losing their grip, we might say. Secondly, if you look at um, chapter 5 and go down to verse 12, Look at what he says to these people. The writer here says, In fact, well in verse 11, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. What a great thing to put in a letter. We'd love to say more about that, but you're a bit slow. So, we're going to hold back for now. And then he says in verse 12, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk because you can't cope with solid food. You're still behaving like babies. What a scathing thing for them to say to them. So the second thing they might say is they're not making any progress. If you look look with me at chapter 6 and verse 12, the writer says, we don't want you to become lazy. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what's been promised. So thirdly, they're in danger of becoming sluggish. And then when you get towards the end of the letter, chapter 12, there all seem to be verse 12 here. He must like write a few pages and then think, I'll just get a little something in there. Chapter 12 and verse 12, his conclusion, if you like, is therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. So here he is writing to Christians and he saying to them, your arms are drooping down. It's like you have a little sit. <laughs> They're tired. And he saying to them, you need a bit of steel. You need to be strengthened. You need to wake up. So, whoops, have we gone off? I'll leave that. Did I do that? Back on. So there's a t- so you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes as you read this letter, these are the things that the writer drops in all the way through. They're losing the grip, they're not growing like they should, they're sluggish, lazy even, they're feeble and weak. In chapter three, he talks about the danger of them turning away from God altogether. In chapter ten, he says that some of them are starting to give up on meeting together because they just can't be bothered anymore. Don't you just love the honesty of the Bible? These are Christian believers and they're having a nightmare. And the picture here is not one of healthy vitality, but rather a slightly lame, limp, anemic shadow of what they should be. Do you ever feel tired? Well, these people felt tired. And so our question is, what was it that caused them to feel so... (laughs) What was the cause? Well, we know from the letter itself that it wasn't physical persecution. Because at the end of chapter 10, the writer says they've withstood that. In in fact, let's, let's go there, chapter 10. I can hear the pages going look at what the writer says in verse 32 remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contrast in the face of suffering sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated you sympathised with those in prison joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession so, don't throw away your confidence. So, the issue isn't persecution. They face that. They've even overcome some of that. They've joyfully stood against external persecution. But now, they're just tired. Do you get that kind of sense? That maybe the excitement's worn off. They've won some battles. And now they're thinking, what, oh, is it really worth it? I think there's an element of tiredness here but I think the excitement is wearing off they're a bit fed up but I think there's more than that I I think when you read through this letter part of the issue is that these Christian believers are being accused of teaching the most abject nonsense that the world has ever heard. You Christians are really stupid. (laughs) And what they were preaching and teaching sounded scandalous, particularly to the Jewish mind. And the heart of this is that the Jewish nation were expecting... A powerful, mighty hero that they could look up to who was going to rescue them from all their problems. And what they got was a northern, uneducated peasant who died outside the city like a criminal. And you Christians are preaching that Jesus is the King of Kings. Are you stupid? Have you completely thrown your brains away? How can you possibly believe that this Galilean peasant who continually associated with the dregs of our society and died the death of a common criminal is the Christ? You think he's a hero? You people are really stupid. (laughs) Put yourself in the position of a Jewish person who has come to faith in Christ. I came across this quote. Just imagine if one of your family members was saying this to you. To think that you, you who as Jews have heard the oneness of God proclaimed 10,000 times in your home, in the synagogue, in the temple, ever since you were children, to think that you, could be taken in by this fanatical sect who worshipped the man Jesus as if he were God. And who are you to say that our high priest and Sanhedrin were wrong to have Jesus crucified? Just because you've heard stories of the miracles he's supposed to have done and been impressed by his popular religious propaganda. You imagine that he must have been more than human. But our high priest and rabbis knew what they were doing. They saw through his deceptions... And had the courage to do what the Bible commands to be done with such deceivers and have him executed. So be sensible. Stop imagining that you know better than your rabbis. Show some respect and gratitude to your mother and father for your upbringing. Come back to the faith of your fathers. And don't ruin your lives and break your parents' hearts. And disgrace your family. By abandoning everything you were brought up to believe and by running off with this fanatical sect. Can you imagine being on the receiving end of that kind of criticism? They need a hero. But not the kind that they expected or even wanted. I think the whole book of Hebrews is to remind them that Jesus is that hero. And that far from his death being a mistake, it had to be this way. And so the writer is pleading with these tired people who have a sneaky feeling that they might have been mistaken, not to give up, not to draw the wrong conclusions, and not to see the death of Jesus as a defeat the reason that these people are tired and losing their grip and becoming sluggish and giving up meeting together is because they've begun to forget that Jesus does not operate like the world operates. His heroism is not like the world's heroism. He isn't all guns and tanks and bravado. He conquers by dying. The scandal is the cross. A few years ago, the, uh, the rock singer Tina Turner, do you remember Tina Turner? She sang a very famous song entitled We Don't Need Another Hero. We don't need another hero. I won't sing it all for you. It was the theme song For a film called Mad Max. Beyond the Thunderdome. Mel Gibson. The film is set in a futuristic and barbaric world. And the Thunderdome. Is an arena where men are sent to fight to the death. It's a bleak and horrible world. Fear and suspicion lurk. And the idea, how can anyone get beyond the Thunderdome? And part of the theme song is sung by children. I don't know if you can hear it on the radio or you can hear it playing in your, in your head. And the children are singing and the whole song articulates the depravity and violence of a world that has just gone completely mad. Let me read to you some of the lyrics. I will sing them. Out of the ruins, out from the wreckage, can't make the same mistake this time. And I wonder when we're ever going to change. Living under the fear until nothing else remains. Looking for something we can rely on. There's got to be something better out there. So what do we do with our lives? Will our story shine like a light or end in the dark? We don't need another hero. We don't need to know the way home. All we want is life beyond the thunder dawn ruin wreckage hopelessness fear nobody you can trust and the song is ironic because what Tina Turner is singing is we're sick of the violence and we don't need another tough guy who'll come and batter the other tough guy we don't need another hero the cry is really is there no one who can deliver us And get us out of this mess once and for all. We do need a hero. But not another one of these heroes. They need a hero. The Jewish nation was expecting a hero. But the one who came didn't look like a hero. And this is the scandal. How can you worship Jesus when he died like a failure? And that's the question that unsettled them and disturbed them. And made them question whether they'd made a terrible mistake. So the whole book of Hebrews is is, it's really all about Jesus. And it's all about reminding them that Jesus is unbelievably great, that they need him and that he is for them, and that despite their difficulties, they had found in Christ life, forgiveness and hope and purpose. The assumption of the writer is that what they needed to reinvigorate them is a completely refreshed perspective on Christ. If they didn't get Jesus, their hope would wither and die. So, is Jesus really the hero in the story? And the answer is my title. He is the scandalous hero. The hero who redefines what a hero even is. So we finally get to chapter 2. And um, we've only got time to look at two verses. So what we're going to do is look at verse 9 and verse 10. And I only have two headings. The first one from verse 9 is A Right Perspective so oh they forgot oh it's gone off again A right perspective there you go we see Jesus look at this now but we see Jesus that's a great phrase that isn't it what do we see Well, the writer says, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What does that mean? Well, first of all, the writer's assumption is that the death of Jesus was not a mistake, but actually a deliberate act. And more than a deliberate act, it is an act that actually means that he deserves the greatest honor because he died more than that in verse 9 it's a bit of an unusual sentence structure but towards the end of the verse it says that this was all designed by the grace of God by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone so this is from God for everyone This is motivated by God's kindness and grace. The death of Jesus is not a mistake, but God planned it so that Jesus would taste death for everyone. So rather than being a a pathetic defeat, this is something that was planned. The writer quotes from Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. I want to put it like this. God created mankind and the idea was that mankind would be crowned with glory and honor as the very pinnacle of God's good creation. This was intended to be a kind of love fest. A tremendous creative celebration of joy and life and diversity. And what happened? Mankind shakes his fist at God. And death and trouble and violence and horror come into God's good world. Instead of Mankind being crowned with glory and honour. There is instead misery and shame. Instead of celebration, aching disappointment. And what does this good God do? Well, verse 9 tells us that because of his grace, he does not treat the world as it deserves to be treated, but he sends his amazing son to become a real human and to be the greatest hero that the world has ever seen or needed. He dies the death that we deserve and he smashes right through it. He conquers our greatest enemy and as a result, not only is he, as a man, crowned with glory and honour, which was God's original intention, but he has made a way for the rest of humanity To follow him through death into his new kingdom. Jesus died so that we could be saved from our desperate plight. It all really depends on how you look at it, doesn't it? From a human perspective, it looks like a defeat. To die in shame outside the city, spat upon, beaten, and mocked, it looks pathetic. It is a scandal. And yet, from God's perspective, it is exactly what we need. A saviour who comes and conquers, not by smashing his enemies, but by laying down his life to save us from our sins. It's not a scandal, it's amazing. He is the scandalous hero. And that's why, as we move into verse 10 the writer makes an amazing claim where he says in bringing many sons to glory it was fitting it was fitting you know what that phrase means it was fitting it was it wasn't a scandal it was fitting it was appropriate it was suitable there's a symmetry and a beauty about what god has done in response to human sin it was fitting you Christians who are tired and wondering whether you've got this all mixed up listen remember this God sent Jesus and it was fitting that he should come so we've seen that uh, in verse 9 a right perspective I want to just quickly in verse 10 look at a radical title there are many names for Jesus in the Bible, but there is one here in verse 10 that is quite an amazing name that we might easily pass over. And there's, there's one word here in verse 10 that's really crucial to understand properly. In, we're reading from the New International Version here, and the word is translated as author. Author. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything is there, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, I was talking to Ian about this the other day, about like, the Greek. We, we don't often talk about the Greek. But this word is quite a difficult word to translate. So, th- this is the word. It is the word... I think you say that, archegos. Okay? Um, the word arc or arch, with the E, means beginning. I suppose it has the idea of preeminence, doesn't it? We talk about archbishops, don't we? It means like the beginning. And the, the gos bit is, is the verb to go. Or, or it's derived from that. So... In a way, this word kind of means the first to go. It's like someone who leads from the front. You get that? The first, the source, the archagos. I know it's difficult to translate. Let me give you a list of different Bible versions and I'll tell you how it's translated. In the NIV, it's author. In the New American Standard Bible, it's author. In the International Standard Version, it's pioneer. In the God's Word translation, it's the word source. In the King James Bible, it's the captain. Many of you who are familiar with the old King James Version will, will know this verse off by heart. And it talks about the captain of our salvation. The Bible in basic English version, captain. The J and Darby Bible, it says leader. The Weymouth Bible, it says prince. So this is a difficult word to translate. It is a multifaceted title for Jesus. So I want to give you a little definition of this word that fits the context here. So see if you can uh, stay with me here. Three three of those words are up on the screen there. This word could could mean pioneer, could mean founder, could mean leader. So what is a pioneer? Well, what is a pioneer? That's not a rhetorical question. Pardon? One who goes to find. find. Or found. found. Yep. So it's definitely got the idea of being the first, doesn't it? Yep. Do you think pioneers have an easy life? Why? Nobody else there to help. help. Often going into the unknown. Because it's easy to copy someone else, isn't it? But if you're the pioneer, there's no map. Nobody's shown you the way. So often, a pioneer is someone who nobody believes in. And someone who has to overcome many obstacles. So I want to suggest, oh, all three at once, look at that. You didn't say all that, did you? <laughs> oh, suck it, let's just do it. Oh, where have they all gone? Just think it's switching off coming back oh no they're not <laughs> <laughs> don't go too fast a radical title okay got pioneer founder leader okay pioneer is one who suffers the founder that's a slightly different nuance to the word pioneer a founder is someone who establishes something And a leader, my definition of the word leader here, is someone who shares the benefits of what they've established with others. So that word archegos has got all those meanings in it. Someone who suffers to establish something that is then shared with many others. Isn't that a beautiful description of Jesus? And is that not what heroes do? They suffer, sometimes at cost of themselves to establish safety, security, so that other people can benefit from what they've done. At cost of themselves. This word only appears three three times in the New Testament, twice in Hebrews. So I think this is a word that's very much on the writer's mind. The other one in Acts chapter three. It talks about the author of our salvation. One of the greatest illustrations of this is found in American history. Um, This man here is called Meriwether Lewis. He was born in Virginia in 1774. And in 1803, he was appointed by Thomas Jefferson to lead an expedition to explore the interior of the United States and find... A water route to the west coast. Now, we often talk about people who are trailblazers, you know, they blaze a trail. As you were saying, the first, the explorer. Meriwether Lewis and his pal, William Clark, are very famous in America because they embody this idea of being a trailblazer. They were pioneers, they went out into the unknown, drawing maps collecting species, negotiating with the people who already live there. And they returned safely, having established a route that other people could then benefit from. What would you call them? What do the Americans call Meriwether and Clark? Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. They're pioneers. They're founders. They're leaders. They're captains. They're explorers. So let's just... Uh, Very briefly think about this. Jesus was a pioneer then, first of all, who suffered. Pioneers know what it's like to suffer hardship. And rather than it being a scandal, the writer here says it was actually fitting that God should make the one who did all this perfect through suffering. It doesn't mean that Jesus is imperfect. I think the word perfect there is I wrote down here, it's really talking about should bring to maturity the human experience necessary for him to be perfectly equipped for his office as a high priest. What what it really means is perfectly suitable or sufficient. So he he had to suffer so that he could be the perfect saviour. Not moral perfection, because he already had that, but he had to suffer to become a perfect saviour. If he's going to help people, it's necessary for him to become like people. Verse 16 says, For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, people, humans. And for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a faithful And merciful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. If Jesus is going to help you. He needs to leave heaven and become like you. Isn't that an incredible thought? You you couldn't make that up, could you? Unless God did it and revealed it. And he's not suffering just for the sake of it he's suffering well it says there in verse 14 since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity why? so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those people who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death Jesus is saying I'll go I'll endure, I'll fight, I will go to the very end of the earth, I will even smash death to pieces. This is heroic language, isn't it? We're not dealing here with a girly, wimpish character. He, he has his axe in hand and is plowing through the jungle, blazing a trail so that others can benefit from what he's done. He's a pioneer who suffers. He is a hero. Secondly, Jesus is a founder who actually establishes something by his suffering. And that's something that he establishes. is salvation. What is he the author of? in verse 10 he is the author of their salvation he isn't just suffering as a good example he isn't just suffering in some vague way he is actually grappling to achieve something he dies to bring you and I to God and I, I wanted to say this, being right with God is not a mountain to climb. It isn't a task to pass. It isn't a life of hardship to be endured, and then God says, "Well, well done. you could be in my team." It is a gift. Jesus is the author of your and my salvation. The story is all about him being the hero. Jesus establishes salvation. Do you know one of our biggest problems is that we don't want to let him do that. We try so hard, don't we, to establish our own. We long so much to gain a little credit. But when we try to establish salvation, we lose the greatest thing that he could give to us which is his salvation. He is not just the pioneer who suffers, but he's the founder who establishes security, safety, relationship with God. It's a gift that he has fought to establish. And thirdly, he is the leader who shares the benefit of what he has achieved with real people. Look with me again at verse 10. How does it start? In bringing many sons to glory. That's a generic term. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. He is the one who brings many sons to glory is a pioneer who suffers to establish salvation. And then he shares that with many people. We might picture this sort of language. It makes us picture the world is, is the jungle. It's a mess. People's lives are messed up. Broken. Defeated. Helpless. Hopeless. The best we can do is hope for the best. And yet, deep down, we know there's a day coming when we have to stand before this God and there'll be nothing for us to say. No amount of tears, self-justifying, pleading ignorance. On that day, as in this day, what we really need is a hero. Jesus has come from heaven to blaze a trail through this broken jungle So that he could bring many sons to glory. He has left his world and come into this world. So that he can take us back to his world. That's what the verse says. In bringing many sons to glory. This writer then is speaking to tired Christians. Who are wondering. Or who have begun to wonder. Is Jesus really up to it? And what the writer wants for them is that they have a right perspective. We see Jesus. And that they get a radical appreciation of who Jesus is. I think the writer's wanting to wake them up. To reinvigorate them. You might think, like Tina Turner, we don't need another hero. We're sick of heroes. But Jesus isn't just another hero, is he? He is utterly unique. And things are not what they seem. He didn't die the death of a defeated madman. But he died the death of a conquering hero. He suffers to establish salvation. And he does it so that you and I can share in the benefits of that with him. Look at verse 12. Jesus says to his father, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, Here am I and the children God has given me. Will you trust him today to be your scandalous hero oh, man. Well we're going to sing uh, a final song and this, this is a song that recognises the heroism of the Lord Jesus um, this is about heaven all heaven declares the glory of the risen king, thank you And then I'll I'll hand over to Rich to uh, do some notices. Thanks a lot. Let's stand to sing.
1: we pray and then I'll give you a few notices Father we thank you for Jesus Father we thank you that he is the one that goes before us He is our pioneer Father we thank you that he goes to establish um, a place for us with you And Father we thank you that he is able to lead us there uh, Because he is perfect and uh, righteous And able to do that because he is God Father thank you that he does that out of love for us And he longs for us to be there with him Amen just got a few notices for you this week. There's no Gospel Communities this week because it's Communion on Wednesday here from 7 o'clock, so uh, bring your tea with you and we'll share eating together and then we'll share Communion from about half seven, quarter to eight. Um, first Steps is on Friday and there are some books you can still buy at the back. The website blog will start up this week or next week. I cannot guarantee because I haven't seen Jai today. Um, so... This week or next week, information will go up on the website uh, about some of the books. It says, all ladies, it says other things on the back, please don't read that. Uh, all ladies, not, not that it's rude or, or, or anything like that, but it's just crossed out. Uh, all ladies, welcome to a social evening, Friday the 10th of May, uh, venue at Emory Wills. If you don't know where that is, uh, ask them or stalk them home. Uh, and it'll include some planning for the Body Shop event in June. So uh, do find out more about that, Ask Jane. Uh, she will tell you all about it, and Will and Emma can tell you where they live. And if they don't like you, they can tell you that they live somewhere else. Um, also, next week, it is, we're, having, um, we're starting at half past three, having cafe, church, cream, teas, cakes, coffees, all those sorts of things. And uh, we'll be looking at, rather we're going to take a week out of Hebrews to look at God, the gospel, and... Cake. So, it might not be cake, but you will find out all about that next week. So, bring your friends, it'll be a really interesting time. Half past three, coffee, cake, bits and pieces. Um, If you want to bring cake, please bring cake. And just so you're aware, in a couple of weeks' time, it's our youth weekend away, so we're going away with the young people from here and a couple of other churches uh, joining us. And um, to try and keep the cost down, we thought we would attempt to sponge off you some food for the weekend. So there's some other churches that are helping out. We've got been given a list today of all the things they're providing. So they've got all breakfast and stuff like that sorted. If you're interested in providing us some food uh, or just you know, bag of rice or a potato, something like that, I've got a list at the back of things that we really could do with. If not, uh, we'll go and buy them. But if you would like to help us keep costs down, that's excellent. So I've got a list at the back. Please sign up. Um, don't just put food straight on it because nobody else will see the list. So yeah, um, list at the back. Do see me for that. That's all the notes is. Thank you.